is obviously running for president again. He has sort of made this a key part of his 2024 presidential campaign. Um, he seized on the civil fraud trial. There's, and he's sort of, there's James. This, the and this is Letitia James. And this is sort of an extension of the campaign trail for him. Michael Popak, Legal AF, the day you're outside appraisers come and testify against you in a fraud case that their information was fraudulently misused by Donald Trump and Donald Trump's financial control people, that's a terrible day for you in a civil fraud case. And that's what happened to Donald Trump today. Despite all of the, the circus came to town and Donald Trump standing out in front of the courthouse and pissing off the court clerk because he kept coming back late to court. He was only there for half a day, but you know, maximum attention, maximum oxygen sucking by Donald Trump. But what was really going on, once again, the methodical presentation of evidence and witnesses by the Office of the Attorney General. It's just chopping wood and stacking it every minute, every hour, every day in the case for the next 100 days. And um, none of this foolishness and, and acting out and antics by Donald Trump in the hallway, we'll show a little clip of that in a minute, especially on the day he got gagged by a federal judge because he's constantly using violent rhetoric to attack everybody related to the criminal justice system. Whatever was going on outside was not what was going on inside, and that's what matters. None of it bothers Judge Angoron. Judge Angoron is, holds Donald Trump, his business empire, whatever size it is, in the palm of his hand. And if he decides that there is persistent fraud on top of persistent fraud and fines for the New York Attorney General in all six counts. He will take away these trophy properties that Donald Trump loves so much. He will destroy the company that Donald Trump built. What he said today was the greatest real estate company in the world, owning the greatest real estate assets in the world with lots of cash. All that cash is gonna be taken over and brought over and given to the people of the state of New York for fraud. All of those assets will be liquidated and Donald Trump will be left, I don't know, wearing a barrel and suspenders at the rate he's going. Today was what I like to refer to as appraiser day. We've had insider, current employees of Donald Trump um, testifying against him and saying that he was involved and led the fraud, the financial fraud. We've had outsider accountants and auditors do the same thing. We've had outside bankers say the same thing from Deutsche Bank. Today, up on the up on the stand, Cushman Wakefield, a renowned international global real estate conglomerate that does a lot of things from brokerage to, to capital markets, uh, raising money for the transaction of real estate and appraisals. The problem is the appraiser who took the stand today, who worked closely with the Trump organization, uh, Mr. Larson, Doug Larson, um, I don't know if he was feigning that he was shocked and surprised, or he was shocked and surprised by a document, a piece of evidence that was put in front of him by the Office of Attorney General, which I'm going to show right here which was the controller for the Trump organization, the one who's responsible for the financial controls, who reports to Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer, had claimed that Doug Larson and Cushman Wakefield was the author, um, was the expert who provided certain data within financial statements that were shown to banks when that was a lie. Let me repeat that. Today on the stand, the outside auditor admitted under oath 
that the Trump organization, led by Donald Trump, lied to its lenders and its bankers on its financial statements by claiming that made up and cooked numbers about the value of assets were the, were the work and the result of Doug, Larson, Cushman, Wakefield when it was not. It was just cooked. So now the worm has turned, another layer of fraud. It's not just about making up your own numbers in order to really sell the fraud, right? Really sell the conceit to the banks you have to make them think that there is a real independent third-party company that is validating those numbers, right? You have to fake the stamp of approval. And you say things like, oh, sure, Cushman Wakefield supports these numbers. These appraised numbers, these appraisal numbers and value, that's Cushman Wakefield's number. And that would give relief and comfort to a banker who was making a big loan. And in underwriting, they would say, in the underwriting for the bank that needs to evaluate and do due diligence about the loan, they would say, well, what's the appraisal in there? Well, they have an appraisal from Cushman Wakefield. Oh, Cushman Wakefield, we know Cushman Wakefield. Where do I sign to approve the loan? That was a fraud on top of a fraud. It's the fraud that's necessary to perpetrate the fraud. Because you can't do it yourself. You got to also fake the doctor's note. You got to fake the note from the accountant, from the appraiser, from the bank. And then this is the tangled web that's been woven by Donald Trump and his financial people. And it was blown sky high and a mile wide today by Doug Bender and his testimony. Now, Cushman Wakefield has its own problems. They were found in contempt by Judge Angoron about six or eight months ago for their failure to timely turn over documents about their client. Um, after the judge already determined that there was no privilege that they could assert, and they were still late in turning over all their documents, all their files, without any holdback, to the Office of Attorney General. And they got fined $10,000 a day by Judge Angoron for doing so. And then they quit the representation because they got their own reputation to worry about. So they fired the client. Just like Mazers, the outside accounting firm for, for um, a dozen years, fired Donald Trump and the Trump Organization. And at the same time, went a step further when they quit. They quit noisily, more noisily than Cushman Wakefield, and said, and everything we just did and all those financial statements we audited were based on information that we received from the Trump Organization. We cannot rely on them. So you can't rely on our financial audited, our audited financials for the last 12 years. Cushman Wakefield, a little more political, a little more diplomatic, worried that Donald Trump could still be a real estate developer in the future, and they may want to have a relationship with him, you know, foot dragged about turning over documents. But today was the day, a year later, Doug, um, Doug Larson, come on up and let me show you a document that, that your own client used um, externally, not just internally, to show bankers with your name on it. Was that right? And he said, point blank under oath, that was inappropriate and inaccurate. A, an, an appraisal by me or Cushman Wakefield should have been ordered, and it wasn't. And we're not just talking about, as Alina Haba and the other lawyers said in the courtroom or outside the courtroom, minimal, de minimis amounts of money here. We're talking about big swings between the actual value of something and the value claimed by Donald Trump. For example, and I know this property because I work and live in New York, Nike Town, which went belly up, which is a block or so from Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. It's a big retail, you know, it's a nice retail. I think it's on 57th Street near off of Fifth Avenue. 
and they valued it on the Trump internal books based on a series of assumptions that are incorrect that even their own outside appraiser said was wrong, valued it at $287 million. $287 million. Doug Larson was shown all the variables and assumptions that were made, and he immediately said, this is wrong. This is not how you do an appraisal appraisal value for Nike Town, because they're using comparables, comparative properties that aren't comparable, right? You got to use retail space in and around, let's say, the Midtown New York block with a certain vacancy rate and a square footage and a certain what we call capitalization rate or cap rate. And of course, they manipulated all those numbers to spit out a number they wanted. They reverse engineered it. We want this to be about a $300 million property. What do we need to do? Okay, on the Excel spreadsheet, change this number, change that multiple, change that factor. Look, $300 million for a property that's probably worth half that. And that was Doug Larson's point, which is very powerful when it's coming out of the, the mouth of the longtime appraiser for the Trump organization who's already upset and chagrined that his name got used fraudulently on financial statements and on valuation when he didn't do the valuation. They take that kind of stuff very seriously, appraisers. When you put their name on appraisals they didn't do, they get really, really upset. And that's what we saw today in the courthouse at 60 Center Street in New York. Um, another example is 40 Wall Street. You've heard a lot about 40 Wall Street. I used to have an office right near it. It's right near the um, uh, the Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, for those that know that area. Um, it's a big, hulking building. It's got a lot of vacancies. It's always had a lot of vacancies, especially during COVID. Um, it had huge retail vacancies at the bottom. You know, these commercial condominiums in the building it was about half empty. I got friends that have a law practice inside there. And so when you calculate the value, you have to take into account things like vacancy rate, right? And, you know, you're missing revenue from the bottom because there's no, you know, the pharmacy went out five years ago and the Whole Foods that was supposed to come in three years ago never came in until recently. And those are factors that go into the appraised value. Many of you may not know this, but I'm about to embark on an amazing life-altering event. See, we build up our lives with bright moments of joy, pride, and success. And however you define those moments, securing your future should be part of the journey. Traditional estate planning can cost thousands of dollars, and one-size-fits-all templates may not capture all the important details of the life you've built. With trust and will, you can protect your legacy from the comfort of your own home, starting at just $159. I know from my own law practice that estate planning through other means can be an incredibly grueling process, and often costing thousands of dollars. But trust and will makes it super simple and streamlines the entire process from A to Z. Trust and Will's website is incredibly easy to navigate, and the process is very straightforward. And one of the best parts is that after working with Trust and Will, you'll have peace of mind that your assets and wishes are secure. From maintaining control of your assets to easing the burden on your loved ones, an estate plan can ensure your family stays prepared 
and protected. Trust in Will has simplified the process of creating and managing your will or trust online from finding out what's right for your family to finalizing documents with a notary. Gain peace of mind today with Trust in Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustinwill.com slash legalaf. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustinwill.com slash legalaf. So Don Larson said, Doug Larson said, yeah, it's like a $200 million property, eh, maybe 220. What's 10% between friends? But Donald Trump had it on his books for, or if everybody's sitting down, I'll, we'll get these numbers right. He had, it, he had it on his books for $500 million, $540 million. That's a big difference, right? I didn't, ma- I didn't major in math. I don't have an MBA. But I can tell you that 220 million and 540 million are two completely different universes of numbers. But when you have to think about the motive here, and that's where the New York Attorney General comes into her case because she has to prove intent, not motive, but intent to commit a fraud. And the intent is there was a giant hole on the balance sheet for Donald Trump that he didn't like. It was like glaring at him, right? This big red hole created by the fact that Forbes magazine had discovered that he was lying for years about the size of his Manhattan penthouse and that and that it was only worth uh, a one-third of the value that was always listed on his balance sheet. And he hated that. So he had to find a way to fill the gap. Since he couldn't acquire other assets, you got to make your existing assets worth more. And how do you do that? You manipulate the numbers and you cook the books. It's been going on for years. It's been going on for so long that there's a phrase for it I just used, cooking the books. That's all Donald Trump did. It wasn't a sophisticated... I don't want anybody to think that this was, as Donald Trump likes to say, a a, a beautiful fraud, a great fraud, the best and mostest fraud ever. This was a garden variety, penny ante fraud of cooking the books that's done by your, you know, the local deli on the corner and the dry cleaner that only takes cash every day. Change the numbers, two sets of books. That's all this is. And then when they needed to really have some sort of gold star attached to it or validation, lie about it and say that people like Cushman Wakefield validated the numbers when they didn't and the appraisals. So what, so... With that kind of testimony, and the testimony also of another insider, Donna Kidder, who's an assistant controller reporting to Jeff McConney, the controller, the one who already said that Alan Weisselberg and Donald Trump ordered him to change the numbers to improve Donald Trump's financial picture without any basis. Um, Donna Kidder, who Donald Trump in his deposition said he didn't even know who she was. Because smartly, the attorney general during her deposition ran by all the names they were going to use at trial a year later uh, or six months later and said, do you know this guy? Do you know this person? Do you know this person? And Donald Trump said, I really don't know them. So yesterday, Peter Bernie, the assistant vice president, you know, um, who's soon to be out of a job, testified against the Trump organization about Alan Weisselberg ordering him at Trump's direction to increase balance sheet numbers without any basis. Cooking the books. He said he didn't know who that person was in his deposition, even though he's worked for the company for nine years. Donna Kidder's worked for the company for like 18 years, and he said he didn't know who she was. But she knew who he was, and that's the more important aspect of her testimony. He said that um, Alan Weisselberg told her to make favorable assumptions about various properties in order to geek up the price. 
right? Gin up the price. He told her to assume vacancy rates, like the building wasn't vacant, that there weren't any vacancies in a rental building, or there were more sales and a sellout of a property like a condominium that needed to be sold. Let's say they had 30 units left to be sold. He said, assume they're all sold. Let's say they had a vacancy rate of 14%. He said, lower that to 2%. And they use different capitalization rates, right? The cost of money invested in the building to operate the building. If you change the cap rate and you totally disregard the true vacancies in the building and you increase the amount of sales over what really exists, you're going to get a higher number. Shocking. And that's what Donna Kidder testified that she was ordered to do by Alan Weisselberg for um, Donald Trump. Did I say at the beginning of this hot take this was a terrible day for Donald Trump on the stand in the um, Attorney General's civil fraud case? Because it was, on top of yesterday's terrible day, on top of the day before's terrible day, and so on for the last two weeks. Don't um, misinterpret the arrival of Donald Trump. Um, it was a terrible day for him. I think he thought Michael Cohen was going to be on the stand, and that's going to have to wait Michael's medical condition clearing up. Um, he was also in town because he had to give a two-hour deposition in the FBI employees who were fired uh, during their role in the Mueller investigation because they were also Democrats and they said some stupid things in text messages. He had to give a he had to, he had to give a deposition for that as well. So he had to he had to leave, but not long and not before he pissed off the entire court staff and the court clerk who who got into the hallway and said two minutes and looked right at Donald Trump to get him back into the courtroom. Very little cross-examination going on of any of these witnesses by the Trump defendant, uh, defense lawyers, which is shocking. I'm a 32-year trial lawyer in courtrooms just like this one. In cases sort of like this, these, I've never seen it. Yes, you've got a judge instead of a jury, but this judge knows this case inside and out. And if you're thinking that, well, I'm not going to cross-examine this witness that's really, really bad for me, that who works for us or used to work for us, that was called in the attorney general's case in chief. Instead, I'm going to wait until our case in defense, and then I'll call him again, you know, four months from now, two months from now. Good luck. That bell has already been wrong with this judge, who every day is forming his opinion, literally, to write against you. You have to do it in real time at the time in order to counteract any bad effect. You know, if he if he um, bloodied you in his testimony, or she did, you got to do something about it. Get up, cross-examine, do the best you can to cauterize the wound. Don't just say no questions, which is what they've been doing. So Patrick Bernie, the vice president, assistant vice president in the accounting department who, who, who just completely was almost a technical knockout for Donald Trump, no questions. Really? Alan Weisselberg, chief financial officer, felon, convicted felon, 50-year fraudster, testifies against you in his own way? No questions. Okay. Um, they asked a couple of questions of Cushman Wakefield, but were really, you know, were sort of like tap dancing on a minefield, really worried because they didn't know what his testimony was going to be because they probably haven't reached out to him and tried to prepare the witness for, for his testimony. And so that's all we're watching. It's not some grand strategy, you know, pass every time it comes around to your turn to do something with the witness. You know, I know that Kais has been on, on uh, television talking about it. Now, the, uh, but there's no strategy here. This is just they're not prepared. 
just like they're not prepared when they're in Judge Chutkin's courtroom in the District of Columbia. They're not prepared in front of Scott McAfee. They're just not prepared. And these lawyers are stretched incredibly thin for Donald Trump, on purpose, by the prosecutors and the attorney generals. You know, you got Kais with Haba sitting in the civil fraud case, right? I don't even know where Todd Blanche is, by the way. Todd Blanche sits in the courtroom, but does very little. In you in uh, D.C., you've got like Lauro basically by himself for Donald Trump doing terribly. And then you've got, I guess, Todd Blanche, maybe Lauro down in Mar-a-Lago, and I don't know who in Georgia. I think it's, I think it's uh, a new lawyer they just hired against the United States of America and all of its millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in resources and hundreds of personnel. There's always an asymmetry between the government and the defense team, but here it is writ large. That's all I'm going to say. And then Donald Trump, who already got gagged, of course, suddenly, suddenly, where he used to call Judge Angoron a Marxist, leftist, radical, crazy, insane uh, judge, now he says out loud today in his social media and to reporters, I like the judge. I respect the judge. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he got gagged by Judge Chetkin earlier today. Probably. I'm just guessing here. I was going to play a clip. I guess I'll play one clip. We'll play one clip of Donald Trump. With, and this is just, just so you just remember, everything I just told you about how terrible the case is going on, you will see none of that on Donald Trump with his, with his um, circus, right? He's like an organ grinder with a monkey out in front of uh, the courthouse or in the hallway of the courthouse. And of course, the reporters eat it up because they're trying to, they need content. They're trying to make a deadline for their reporting. Let's show a clip. Based on that, he ruled against me. He ruled fraud. I mean, he said fraud. They are the fraudulent people because they ruled the house that was worth 18, they put down as worth 18 million and it's worth maybe close to 100 times that amount. And based on that, they ruled against me having to do with fraud, which is a big statement. But they are the frauds because the house is worth a billion, a billion and a half, 750 million, it's worth a fortune. Most expensive house probably in the world, and they said it was worth eighteen million dollars, and they don't do anything about it. Okay, having heard my entire hot take. Here's the query. Here's the question. Was this a good day for Donald Trump or a bad day for Donald Trump? I'll let you decide comparing his clip to the reality of what was going on. Again, the New York Attorney General methodically chopping wood like a metronome. I know metronomes don't chop wood. (laughs) Chopping wood, just piling up the cords, moving on, slow methodical presentation of evidence and witnesses. Like I've said before, she, the New York Attorney General, is a boa constrictor, and she has Donald Trump, and she is wrapped around him. And every day in the trial, it just gets tighter and tighter. And by the time this trial is over and the case in chief is over, Donald Trump's head is going to pop off. And that's that's going to be the end of it. I get a lot of delight out of doing hot takes like this one. I hope you noticed that. I do it only in one place, the Midas Touch Network on their YouTube channel. Help them get to 2 million already. I keep saying that. And once you do, I'll help. I'll keep pushing for them to get to 2.5 million. But help them get to 2 million. It's a grassroots thing. There's no outside investors, right? And so the bigger they get, the voice of them gets that big, your voice will get larger. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays, come join me and my co-anchors, Karen Freeman-Ignifolo and Ben Mysalis for Legal AF. 
We curate the best stories, just like the one I just did, but we do it back and forth. We debate each other with our collective 100 years of legal experience. And Legal AF, yes, it is what you think. Give me a thumbs up here. Helps with the ratings. Helps keep the content coming to you. Until my next hot take. Until my next Legal AF. This is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.